Welcome to Health Tech Hustle. We exist to share stories of the brave entrepreneurs helping to solve the most important problems in digital health today. We interview top leaders in health tech and bring them onto our show each week to listen and learn from their story with your host, Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Hello, welcome to another episode of Health Tech Hustle. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. Adam Tarinas. He is the CEO and founder of Health Launchpad, which is a new firm that helps technology companies grow their healthcare business. And he's also a mentor towards two startups in the TMC Innovations Accelerator Program, as well as Capital Factories Accelerator Program. So I'm excited to have him on as a guest and allow him to share his story and what he's doing in the space. So with that being said, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rodney. Really appreciate it. Um, really, really happy to be part of it. Really excited about what you're doing here. No problem. So yeah, let's kind of just jump into it. Why don't you give the listeners a little more insight into your background and exactly sure. what you're doing in the health yep. Absolutely. So I'm an accidental healthcare entrepreneur. I started a healthcare health tech company in 2012 completely by accident. Before that, I'd spent about uh, 20 years in marketing. We're doing all kinds of different types of marketing, financial services, entertainment, uh, travel, technology, a lot of technology work, mostly digital, but I never did healthcare. And uh, I, I started a little consulting firm and I was uh, just helping big companies with their overall communications. And I was having breakfast one day with a great friend of mine who's a physician and his name's Stu. And a really charismatic, really smart physician, very experienced guy. And he said, you know, there was a big problem, a big communications problem in healthcare. This is going back to 2012. And the problem is that the relationship between healthcare systems and their medical group was broken, in his words. And um, that was a real problem because, you know, the hospital's healthcare systems depending on the physicians for their patients. And um, the physicians were increasingly dependent on the healthcare system because of the change in healthcare shifting to Obamacare and value-based care and all that great stuff. And so we decided we would try and do something about it. So we started a little consulting firm called Navio Health uh, in 2012. And we started working with um, hospitals, and I'd say that our first efforts were <laughs> real trial and error. I remember the first meeting we had with a hospital. It was the worst meeting I've ever had. It was just, I, I had no idea what I was talking about. Uh-oh. And <laughs> it made all, really made a bit of a fool of myself. But um, thankfully, the, uh, <laughs> the nice thing about healthcare is the people are generally pretty, pretty decent people. They're in it for different reasons. They're not all in it for commercial reasons. And so it generally touches or attracts quite nice people. And so I think they took pity on my, me and my partner. And uh, they still hired us to do some consulting for them. And anyway, so that was back in 2012. And then it's sort of about six months into it. He thought, you know, I think it's an idea for an, we had an idea for an app. And we started brainstorming and, you know, we sort of thought what the app could do. And it was all kind of geared towards communications and improving, making it easier for physicians to communicate with each other and making it easy for the healthcare system to communicate with the physicians to kind of, you know, sort of kill two birds with one stone, if you like. Okay. Anyway, so we pitched that idea 
to a guy called Joe Scott. Joe, at the time, was the CEO of Liberty Health System in, in New Jersey. And he said, you build that, I'll buy it. So he said, okay, Joe. And so we uh, went off and we found some developers, a couple of guys in uh, uh, Columbus, Ohio, who had developers around the world. And uh, we worked out what a minimum viable product would look like. And it then took about six months to implement it. Involved encrypted messaging. So that, you know, it had to be HIPAA compliant, right? So that meant that there was a, from a technical standpoint, you know, that we had to, a lot of thinking to go into to make it HIPAA compliant and fully encrypted and all of that good stuff. Anyway, so at the end of 2012, we went back to Joe at Liberty Health System and uh, said, okay, uh, we're, we're back with our app. And he said, okay, you can try it out with some of my doctors. And we did a pilot for about a month with 30 of his physicians and they loved it. They absolutely loved it. They said, you know, there's so much technology that we've forced to use that we hate and this just makes our life so much easier. I was geared directly towards the doctors, the app. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it was specifically for doctors, but, you know, clinicians in general, but primarily, you know, we started very physician centric. Anyway, so at the end of a month, we couldn't take it off them. And so we thought, you know, we got something here. And so then we actually, you know, we, we then built out the product properly. We had the, Android, we had the iOS version, Android version, the web-based version of it. We had a bunch of enhancements that we needed to do. And we launched the company. And the company initially was called, the app was called Practice Unite. And we, you know, within about a year, we had half a dozen healthcare systems on board, which was really hard. <laughs> really, really hard. I've sold in so many different industries and I've never sold in anything that's as tough to sell into as healthcare. Sales cycles are eternal, very risk averse. And we, we were a couple of guys and, you know, a part-time CTO. And frankly, we all had, we had day jobs as well. We weren't, not, none of us were actually doing it full time. So there's a lot of smoke and mirrors to start with. But it was a legitimately HIPAA compliant product and um, our customers loved it. And, you know, we had good sort of early adoption and good early usage and started to get some momentum. We were able to get some press after a year, some really, really PR for the application that basically we were able to demonstrate that the app was saving one of our customers $2 million a year. Wow. And that, you know, that went viral or as viral as anything healthcare anyway you know not quite not quite you know beyond instagram viral it was you know viral for healthcare anyway it's specific uh, virality right. yeah right <laughs> so you know we then got some real momentum and we we got some a reseller on board and the head of the reseller so liked us enough that he made an investment brought on some other investors and things were going and then about 2000 we were getting really worried because we we tried to raise money from the VC and the VCs were you know we had like I don't know dozens of meetings I don't know I, I couldn't tell you I lost count so many how many meetings we have and we kept hearing the same message and it was basically look you guys have got a great product you got a good team you got a great track record but we're still not going to invest and the reason we're not going to invest is that the market's too competitive and frankly they were right you know there were 100 competitors in the space and so, you know, they were right by their own standards. I mean, that was like, you know, we didn't agree with them, but, you know, I can see why they said it, right? It's, um, 
there were a lot of companies in the space. So I was, I was really worried actually, because I thought we were going to run out of money, despite, you know, on the surface, everything looked like it was going great. We'd hired up, we had a really good team. We're still running it pretty lean, but problem with running a SaaS business is that you never, your revenue is never coming in fast enough to cover your costs. You know, so I, I, that was the real risk that we were going to go under within 2016. And so I wasn't too sure what to do. Anyway, I got a call out of the blue by a guy called Tom and Tom ran another company called Unify Health. And they had a kind of a, a product that was sort of, I would say, you know, similar, but, but you know, not that similar. So that it was sort of like he, what their product did added to our product and what we did added to their product. And you know, we actually thought that our businesses were pretty complementary. And so we put the two companies together and we took their name. They had a better name, actually. Unify Health is a great name, fantastic name. And so we took that name. And on the back of that, these guys brought in some additional investors. So we raised another $4 million in equity. And, um, you know, then we continued to grow. And, you know, we added some really great customers. You know, we added um, some multi-hospital healthcare systems in Florida and some new, uh, and some others in New York State, some, some in the Midwest. And things were really sort of starting to go well. But, you know... We struggled in a couple of areas. One area was the competition was getting tougher and tougher. And $4 million was just not enough money. What we really needed to be able to raise was probably two or three times that to be able to compete because we just could not compete from a sales and marketing standpoint and couldn't get the, you know, couldn't get the coverage that we needed and the sales momentum. So, you know, we had a pretty good hit rate. You know, we would close... I think we would win our fair share or more than our fair share of the business that we were pitching for, but we just couldn't get enough at bats. And then the other thing that was happening was the market was getting much, much more competitive. So, you know, there was consolidation going on and, you know, the, the big guys like Epic were starting into the market. And so cut along, we went through some pretty rough times and, you know, went through a restructuring, which was a horrible thing to have to go through and, you know, had to say goodbye to some people that we like very much. And a financial restructuring, which is painful. It was very painful. But by doing that, you know, we got the company back on track and got, got it um, sort of financially where it needed to be. I'll say, you know, that as much as anything. But the, the board, and at that point, we, you know, we had some very sophisticated, experienced guys on our board, just felt that the market was getting too competitive and that, you know, long term, we were going to struggle to really break through. And so we made the decision that we would put the company up for sale. And, and we went through a process. We brought on board a really good investment banker. And um, they, they went out, they reached out to, you know, dozens of companies and we you know, went through a review process with probably a dozen or so of them and then had offers from a handful, which is what you kind of expect. And then we ended up selling to a company called Harris Healthcare. And that was in 2000, that was last year, a little over a year ago. Nice. And, you know, it was a good fit. You know, I think we fit, we filled a hole in their portfolio and, you know, it, it was a, a good place for our, to put the product and, you know, it was a good place for the our clients and for our team. And um, I stayed around for about six months and did a transition and uh, got done with that transition the end of September and then took some time off and then thought, well, my next thing, you know, what's my next act going to be? And, and I decided I really love 
healthcare and I love helping companies build a business in healthcare. And I've got still got a real passion for sales and marketing and, and you know, quite a few years of experience in it. So I created Health Launchpad basically to help companies navigate the healthcare system, figure out how to sell and market effectively in healthcare. And it's sort of appealing to kind of three types of companies. You know, I, I do a lot of work with startups. So I've, I've mentored startups for about seven or eight years. As you say, I'm, I'm involved with a bunch of accelerators and I'm also involved with some other startups that I've been working with for a while as well. And so that's one group that I help. The second group is companies that are sort of much more mature, maybe at $5, $10 million in revenue that are trying to get to $20, $30, or $50, $100 million in revenue. And they really need to take their marketing to the next level. And so what I do is help them with their overall strategy and then get that on track. And then the third group that I serve are companies that are trying to get into healthcare for the first time or the US healthcare market. So I'm working with a global cybersecurity firm that doesn't have a healthcare presence and I'm helping them get into the healthcare market. And you know what? I started the company on, uh, my timing was, it was interesting, right? So I started the company on March 5th at 12 o'clock. And at 12.01, HIMSS was cancelled. <laughs> and then uh, HIMSS Europe was, ca- was postponed, uh, which was going to be my next big thing I was going to go to. And South by Southwest, which I'm based in Austin, that was cancelled as well. So my own marketing plan went out the window. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of, necessity is the mother invention, right? So I said, thought to myself, what I really want to do is start, helping sort of educate, sort of like share what I've learned, at least get some discussions going around that. So I've, I've applied myself to creating a lot of content, you know, eBooks, webinars, that kind of thing. And it's working really well. You know, I'm winning new business and uh, starting lots of new conversations and having a lot of fun doing it. So I'm hopeful that I've, uh, this is going to be a success. Awesome. Creating a lot of content just like we're doing now. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you're, I love your podcast. I, I'm, I'm learning more. I'm learning a lot about how to do podcasts and watching how you do podcasts. Cause, awesome. Uh, Thank you. Thank my, you. My, my healthcare startup podcast is, is good, but this is, uh, you've taken it to a whole other level. It's the power of collaboration, just learning from each other. You know, that's how you get better. Obviously, like you had mentioned earlier, how you were kind of just started in technology and marketing, but you kind of broke through into the healthcare and you kind of had a, you had a transition. It wasn't as easy as you thought it would. You said it was, you had some rough patches, but obviously you're able to optimize and learn and grow and just stack on your successes from there. And I think that's, what's really valuable to you as a consultant and helping other startups is that you have this wealth of knowledge and experience trial and errors that you can fall back on. And if you're a startup, that's the value that they can get, right? Cause you're essentially cutting their learning curve in half by sharing what you've done, the ups and the downs. You got it, Rodney. I mean, if I can, if I can help anybody avoid all the stupid screw ups and mistakes that I made, I'll be, I'll be very happy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so you mentioned you kind of were part of different companies or merged with other companies or meeting different people you're getting feedback. My question to you is how were you able to identify that problem? Was it just through research? Was it through networking and actual conversations you're having with people? And once you were able to identify that problem, what was the first plan of action that you did in order to try to offer a solution? 
a lot of it is as kind of I'd say it's kind of like well-informed trial and error. You know, people have written books on it, right? I mean, it's sort of like the uh, what, what's it called the the business model canvas and um, lean startup. I mean, you know, there these really brilliant people who've written these great sort of how you do a startup. And at the end of the day, it's about one thing, which is it doesn't matter really matter what you think. It's what matters what the customer thinks. Mm. And so. You know, we started out with an idea, a belief, if you like, there was a problem that we were hearing, right? So we were getting validation that there's a, there, is a, there are many communication problems in healthcare. And, but what was sort of interesting was that started with one problem and the problem that we thought we needed to fix was what's called in consulting world is, and what, you know, the boardroom calls physician alignment which is a posh way of saying other physicians are actually on board with what the organization needs to get done. You know, are we all working together? Is it, you know, are they collaborating? So we thought that was the problem that we're trying to solve. And, you know, that feedback that we get with, from healthcare executives that we would meet was, yeah, that's a big problem. But when we showed them the app, they said, yeah, that's, that's the problem. But what the problem we really helping us with it was HIPAA compliant messaging. Mm. I mean, we just said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, the big problem we've really got is that doctors and nurses are texting each other just using their regular text messaging. And the problem with that is it's not encrypted. And because it's not secure, it's not HIPAA compliant. And then, you know, potentially every time somebody does that, that's a $50,000 breach. So what we very quickly realized is, is that what we thought was sort of like a feature of the application was the application. It was what the business was about. And so a couple of things happened as a result of that. You know, first of all, we sort of doubled down in terms of our product roadmap of that's what we're focused on, of that specific, of addressing really specific physician to physician and physician to nurse workflows and other clinical workflow issues that were all related to communication. So very granular and all about the individual users. And the physician alignment thing became a secondary message and a secondary part of the business. So it was, you know, not strictly a pivot. It was more kind of like a fine tuning, a sort of a recalibration. But, you know, that came from what customers and users were telling us. And, and then what, what then happened over the course of the business is that, you know, customers would tell us what they needed. And so, you know, at every stage of the business, our product roadmap was customer driven. And we would, we have a great, uh, really wonderful team, product development team led by a, a terrific CTO called Ed Guyon, just an amazing head of product development called um, Sarah Skelton, who just, they really drove the thing. But we always grounded it on what were the client needs. And so everything that we did was driven by what we were hearing from customers. And that mostly worked. It didn't always work though. I mean, the interesting thing to me was that, you know, one of the use cases, one of the big areas that we were hearing from customers, they said that they wanted help with, was not just, you know, clinician to clinician communication, but clinician to patient communication. So help us communicate our patients. So we thought this is brilliant, right? I mean, if we can, we can easily extend out the communication from 
within the hospital, within the healthcare system, out to the patients. So we did that. And what we found was that while the hospital said they wanted it, they didn't really want it, you know, or they didn't really want it the way that we were doing it. And what we found is that they would accept that we, we then run in. What the problem is, is what we then run into is that they've, you then run into the EHR problem. And the problem is that they've, you know, the 800 pound gorilla in healthcare is Epic and Cerner and all those guys, but particularly those two. Yeah. And, you know, once you run into that wall, you then find it's very difficult to get traction. And so quite often what would happen is, is that you'd get a request to help them with physician to patient communication. And then you'd sort of talk about doing a pilot, but the more they'd investigate it, they'd go, yeah, you know what, we're just going to do it with our EHR. It's easier to do it that way and it's less internal problems. And so we were never able to get that business off the ground as a result of that. So, you know, long answer to your question, but, you know, just listen to your customers and um, your innovation. My view is your innovation and your ideas should be far enough ahead of your customer that they're, you know, you're, you're presenting ideas to them. Okay. But it can't be so far ahead of them that they're never going to do anything with it. You know, um, they'd be more like resistant to change if they're not exactly the information that you're presenting isn't really resonating with them. You got it exactly right. Yeah, if they're not, they wouldn't be able to do anything because it's so hard in a healthcare system to change anything. You know, like financial services companies, you know, like a you know Goldman Sachs or somebody like that or any of the other big banks, they're really driven by, they're commercially driven, right? They're driven by serving their clients and making money by doing that. And time to market and having a great product quickly is absolutely critical. And so you're still like, pressure, 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 pressure to deliver. Whereas in healthcare, you know, there's not that commercial pressure, right? Uh, there's, it, it's, there's, there are so many risks. If you screw something up in financial services, people lose money, but nobody dies. If you screw yeah. something up in healthcare, patients can die. Yeah. And so there is a, an understandable risk aversion. And so that means that things move much more slowly. And so we would struggle with, we put ideas that were sort of way too far out in front of them and, you know, they'd be interested, they'd be kind of like these shiny objects that they're interested in, but they'd never do anything about it. And those could become big distractions for us. Gotcha. Um, so it's, it's quite difficult to sort of, if, you, if all you do is just in response to what your clients are telling you today, you're just going to be a follow-up, right? You're not an innovator. You'll never be a market leader. If you get too far out ahead of them, nobody's going to buy what you're, you know, you're one of those startups in the, in the graveyard of startups that got too far ahead of themselves. And there are millions of them, right? I mean, it's just, so it's, it's trying to find that window of how far out ahead of your customers you want to be. Okay. I kind of want to get a little more clarification as far as like the customer feedback for your business. Was that after you had officially launched or was that to just a specific beta customers in which all the time it's it's not it's before during and after okay just constantly so when we had the idea for the product we were driving back from a conference Stu was driving and i had a scrap of paper in front of me and we brainstormed and we said what if it did with us what if it did that and he was driving and i would just i drew an app right with buttons on it (laughs) and then i took it to a friend of mine who's a designer and she made it look like a real app 
And then we created a PowerPoint deck and then we went and pitched it. We pitched it to our consulting clients. That solves the need, actually. I think we're really excited about that. Can you build that for us? Nice. And then, so then we went off and we, we did that. But, you know, as we were doing it, it didn't hurt. I mean, obviously it mattered that my partner was a physician. He was building an app for him, you know, in the sense that he knew what, what problems he needed solving. And then we got it in front of some real users. And so, you know, they liked, they really loved it. But they also gave us some feedbacks on things that they wanted to have improved. And then we go to the next customer. And the next customer would say, yeah, we like that, but can you do X and, X and Y and Z? And so we would look at X and Y and Z. And then what would happen is, is that the more clients you talk to, more customers you talk to, the more ideas and feedback that you get. So then you have to develop a process for prioritizing stuff. So there's some stuff that you're, you know, you're going to say, that's absolutely critical. We got to do that. Everybody's asking for it. We have to do it. That's priority number one. Priority number two is we're going to get to it next quarter. And priority number three is, you know, if we can tuck that in, we're either never going to get to it or it's something that'll go into, you know, we'll try and fit it in, you know, when there's a little bit of downtime. But you're always getting feedback. I mean, we would do every quarter, we would do a net promoter score survey, but we wasn't really a net promoter score survey. But what we would do is we would in the app, we'd survey the users. So we get feedback from the users. We would meet, we have a customer engagement person, so a customer success person. And their main job, there are two jobs. One was training and the other job was bringing back feedback. So their job was to bring back feedback from the clients about, you know, what was working and what wasn't working. And then, you know, the leadership of the company would meet with our senior clients because, you know, we, we got up to about 25 healthcare systems, but it's a small enough number that you can talk to everybody, right? And so we would meet with um, our senior clients, you know, a couple of times a year and get feedback from them. So, you know, to answer your question, you're always getting feedback. And some of it is structured and disciplined in sort of doing surveys. And, and then the rest of it is sort of, you know, might be a bit, you know, ad hoc, depending on when it comes in. Okay. Nice. And so I've heard you mention over the course of this conversation, a couple of your team members that you've been working with. And so I kind of want to address that. And as far as running a business, running a startup, can you kind of speak to the importance of you having a well-structured team and who played yeah. a big role for you in helping delegate some responsibility or maybe taking over an area that you may not be as strong in compared to like the marketing or something like that? You know, when we started the company, you know, we started off with I kind of sort of like the Holy Trinity or the three-legged stool, and that was a subject matter expert. So Stu, the physician, you know, he understood the needs, right? And he understood the needs of the healthcare systems. He also really understood the needs of the users. As well as being a doctor, he was also um, a healthcare lawyer. So he, he was an expert on HIPAA. And then the second leg of the stool is an absolutely brilliant technologist called Ed Guy. He was a PhD in electrical engineering and just an amazing programmer and problem solver as well. And so, you know, I had full confidence. Then we had somebody who could build it, maintain it and grow it. And then myself, my job is, you know, I kind of have two sides to what I do. Yeah, I'm a, you know, my 
subject matter expertise is in sales and marketing, but I'm also, I've run businesses. So, you know, I'm gen- business in a generalist. The thing that I struggle with, and I think most entrepreneurs struggle with is I didn't really have much experience in raising money and I had to learn how to do that. And that was, that was painful actually. It was really, really the part of the job I like the least and, you know, struggle with the most. The companies that do the best at raising money, often it's because they're just well connected or they've, they've been educated on how to do it uh, or, or that they've done it before. So that, you know, they're sort of, a lot of people find it's, it's much easier to raise money the second time around, particularly if you've been wildly successful in the first time. And so I didn't have any of that, you know, experience or behind me. So that was kind of the core is having a leadership team which had those, that balance. And then underneath that, you know, we had some key people. And so the head of product development, Sarah Skelton, managed the sort of because in charge of product management, was just great because she's a fantastically organized person. Um, I mean, just you know, we always sort of joke that, you know, we kind of work for her. And, you know, she just made the whole company run, you know, the, the operation, the product management operation run. But she's also a really good manager and leader. And so people would follow her and just a great collaborator. And then we just had some superb you know, really great developers underneath that worked underneath that team. It wasn't, you know, tried not to, we weren't very big. And so putting in a hierarchy would have been artificial. And so it wasn't very hierarchical. We had developers, most of our developers were in in the US. We did have some developers in India as well. So, you know, there was communications and collaboration, things that we needed to work through, but that worked pretty well. And then, you know, sales and marketing, we added some salespeople. Some of them worked out, some of them didn't, um, which is not unusual. You know, you have to make some painful decisions on that front. And same on client success. You know, we had some people who were very good who worked out and others who not so much, you know, just, you know, you kind of turn through them. Nice. So you kind so, of spoke yeah. on like your strategy or like your overall journey really of transitioning into the healthcare industry and really growing a business in this sector and the strategies that you've executed on to actually grow the business and also the tools and the team that you have brought in and put in place to actually help grow and scale um, before you actually sold your business. Um, and you kind of touched on some problems, whether it's transitioning or like you just had mentioned, growing or raising money. Um, but can you speak to some obstacles or challenges that you faced as a business owner in this sector and how you're able to overcome them? Mm, so many. <laughs> Anyone that sticks out to you? Yeah, I mean, raising money is definitely hard. I mean, that's just, I knew enough to be dangerous, but I really didn't know how to do it. And I didn't know, you know, I wasn't very well connected. And so we brought on an advisor early on who worked with us for about a year. And for the first six months was very helpful. I mean, he actually helped us secure a, some a convertible note. Uh, convertible debt and did a good job there but then actually when it came to doing like a proper seed round he was not the right person to help us and that was painful because it cost us you know it's not through it just wasn't it wasn't the right fit for us and so it just cost us six months of time at a very critical time and that was painful and you know the other issue that we had was market timing so some of our competitors had raised tens of millions of dollars. And so we were a bit late getting to them. And because of that, by the time we got to the VCs, they kind of concluded that 
I'm not so sure that, that we're going to invest in you that, you know, that, that uh, the market may have moved on. So that was a really, really tough thing to go through. You know, the other thing that was challenging was once we did raise, we put the two companies together and we raised money, you know, we then had a, 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 a then managing a board of very, very senior seasoned executives. You know, these were high net worth guys you know, who were very accomplished business people and um, pretty challenging to manage. So that was challenging, but I, you know, kind of I, downs. I mean, you know, there's, there's no, you know, there's a guy I used to work with who was a founder of a company that was ultimately successful said, you know, you basically running a startup is, is a series of near death experiences hopefully with a great success at the end of it. And that's certainly how it felt. I mean, I, I would say, you know, the seven years that, that I ran that company through its various iterations, toughest things I've ever dealt with. You know, a lot of them I can't really go into because they get quite personal. And making some very difficult decisions. It was a painful decision, you know, when things were really very bad way financially, that having to lay off a large chunk of the staff. And that's, you know, maybe fortunately unfortunately I'd been through it before in previous companies and so I knew what to do and how to do it and so I could get through it and get everybody else through that but you know for somebody who's never done that before going through that kind of reduction that restructuring can be crippling some people just never remember the first time I did it which was about 15 years ago I never really recovered properly from that so you know there, there are some things that you know, unfortunately, there's no other than experiencing it. There's no other way of learning it. Nice. And so kind of got one more question for you before we end podcast. You kind of gave us a whole spiel of the goods, the bads, um, from the very beginning to actually selling your company and um, having some success at the end. <laughs> um, so what advice would you give to other health tech companies who are either starting out or couple chapters behind you in their journey best piece of advice i'd give is i mean it's, it sort of depends kind of depends what stage you're at right so i think early on the really good bit of advice i got from somebody was that to be successful you need two things you need relationships and you need money and it's more that's more the case than in any other industry because it's a very difficult industry if you've not been in healthcare at a, at a senior level for a long time it's a very difficult industry to penetrate. So you need the relationships to help you navigate that. And you need more capital than you do in other industries because the sales cycles are so low, long. So that's the, you know, that's the, that's the other thing. The second thing is, this is a piece of advice that I was given that is something that I, I couldn't really do much about. <laughs> but it's, a, it's one of those things which is if I was ever to do this again, I think I would make a priority. And that is, who your investors are is as important as who your customers are. And I'm so grateful for the people who invest in our business. You know, I, I really owe them everything. And they're great people. They were all individual investors. And the ones that could went out of their way, to, that had connections, went out of their way to try and help us and were successful in doing that. There are other guys I've spoken to, so, you know, who actually, like me, or maybe on the second time at bat, who have started their company with some of the really high profile healthcare VCs on their board 
and have immediately connected into some of the high profile accelerators like TMC in Houston and Cedar Sinai in, in LA. And that gives you such an advantage because, you know, most of us are scrapping from little hospitals that want to give you a shot to try and get to the big guys, right? That have got the big budgets and the big profile. If you're able to get connected to Cedar Sinai or a TMC or both in some cases, and you've got, you know, that then gives you access to some of the highest profile healthcare systems on the planet and then gives you, you, you're kind of first in line for the investors who are investing in your space. And the fact that those accelerators have endorsed you says that you've got a market there. And that is, and that's what I, you know, I mean that, you know, it, I almost wouldn't do a healthcare startup again unless I could meet Unless I could check those check those boxes because it's so hard. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, you know, I'm terribly grateful to all of the guys who invested in us, and you know, they all went out of their way to try and do the best they could for us. The ones who get into those high-profile accelerators or who have relationships with the sort of the heart, the really top-tier um, healthcare VCs are in kind of like the space. It's like kind of going to an Ivy League university. Once you get in that, you know, you can kind of write your own ticket. And then the rest of us are scrapping. I didn't go to an Ivy League, so I can say that. (laughs) All right. All right. Man, I feel like that was a very jam-packed, value-packed episode right here. Um, But now we're nearing towards the end, and I kind of want to end it on a little lighter note. We've been uh, talking about some very high-level stuff. So yeah, kind of have a um, little fun exercise I like to call the rapid fire round where I ask you a couple of questions and you okay. can, yeah, whatever answer you come up with. Okay. All right. First question. What is your favorite book of all time? A voyage for madmen. It's uh, my passion. One of my passions in life is sailing. It's about the first single handed solo round the world yacht race. And it's just an amazing story. Awesome. Who is the most influential person in your life or career? My dad. Awesome. Yeah, what is yeah. one goal that you want to accomplish this year? Yeah, you know, actually, it's pretty straightforward. I, you know, personal and a personal say life stage you know, thing of accomplishing it, which is that I'm I'm new to Austin, and so we want to just settle in in Austin and sort of get ourselves sort of relaunched here. Which we kind of, you know, we're underway doing, and then you know the whole coronavirus crisis thing sort of threw that for a bit oh. for a loop. But you know, that's fine. I'm really passionate about what I'm doing with Health Launchpad, and um, I'd like that to be more than just a little boutique consulting firm. I hope it's actually a community of people who are passionate about this issue, which is sales and marketing and healthcare and how to make it work better. Because it it's kind of doesn't work very well. Yeah, okay. And last one, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, God. I, hey, that's not fair. I, I asked that question in my, in my podcast. Oh, I, yeah. you know, and I'm always stuffed by it. Um, <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I think it's so corny, but you know, kind of believe in yourself in the sense that it took me a long time to actually have the guts to actually do a startup. And my only regret with doing startups is I wish I'd tried earlier because, you know, I, I, I think it, for most entrepreneurs, it takes four or five goes to really get it right. <laughs> and uh, I'm running out of runway. <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great way to end today's podcast. Adam, I just want to thank you again for just sharing your valuable insights and your personal 
journey and your story of how you're able to go from sales and marketing, breakthrough into the healthcare market, have success, and just fill us in on some strategies and tools and the team that you had put into place and um, it's the value of having good network and relationships and money. So I know I got a lot of value out of this and I know a lot of other people will as well. So I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you, Rodney. I really, really appreciate it. And keep doing what you're doing, man. This is just great that you started this podcast. That's awesome. Content creation, man. So is there anything you want to share? Any last words? Where can people find you? Any website, social media they can follow? Well, thank you for asking so my website is health launchpad so that's health launchpad in one word.com and you can just email me at adam health launchpad.com and uh, or find me on linkedin adam Chirinas. awesome well that concludes today's episode catch you guys later thanks for listening to today's episode of health tech hustle with rodney who founder of 209 digital tune in next week for another interview with an expert leader in digital health